Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on our beloved desert. Our landscape of mystery, the place without enough water for people. And yet here we are. Preparing the species for the inevitable gloomy colonies on Mars. The Mars colonies will probably be something like airports, inside the airports, I mean, the terminals. There will be no outside, not for you, not yet. Maybe after we terraform Mars, after many centuries, many centuries of lawsuits. Meanwhile, for the rest of your life, and probably for the rest of my life, probably the lives of our children, Mars Colony 1 will be much like an airport terminal, probably like the Tom Bradley International Terminal in Los Angeles few places to spend money and no going outside ever. Of course, the billionaire class will be able to go outside and custom luxury branded Martian safari vehicles and spacesuits by Goop. Have your financial advisor contact our concierge for scheduling. Influencers with followings of at least 50 million Earth humans of the proper demographics will be invited for live-streamed ride-alongs on a case-by-case basis. If you would rather not have an influencer on your Martian safari, please have your law firm prepare the necessary paperwork before your non-refundable deposit is accepted. If it turned out that I had a billion dollars sitting around, I think I'd want to stay as quiet as possible. I think I would want to stay out of the news cycle right about now. characters announced that he'd like to buy the presidency. It's one of these guys who got very, 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 very rich selling beverages to people in strip malls. And this guy sort of looked around the emerging political landscape and he thought... surprising amount of money attached to my name, 
the first thing I would do is not run for president, but head out for a month or two in the desert wilderness in the wintertime in a little one-room cabin full of books and wine and maybe some board games in case somebody found the place and wanted to play chess or something. Scrabble or Battleship. And at night after grilling my supper on the fire, well, I'd stretch out under the stars and watch for satellites, for meteor storms, especially for things that I don't understand or recognize at all. Weird lights and strange creatures. And no noise from the road. Why do we assume the weird lights and strange creatures and other such things that appear and then vanish are related to the systems maybe other galaxies? It's not the kind of thing people really even considered before about a century and a half ago. And really building up after the publication of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds in 1897. An earlier panic, an earlier global outrage as the new higher-powered Earth telescopes had revealed mysterious new details on the surface of Mars. New details that to a lot of people looked like waterways and canals. That's when we started worrying about the Martians. After 1877, when the Italian astronomer Giovanni Schiaparelli described and even named the mysterious canals he saw through his telescope. Was there an ancient civilization on Mars, maybe living underground now? We still do not know the answer to those questions. But the things that appeared to be canals are now thought to be a sort of optical illusion that led the astronomer to do what people often do. Attempt to make order out of random appearances of lines and shadow. Order from chaos. The way we do when we look at the clouds. The way we do when we look at the boulders out here in the desert. There are boulders that look like monsters. There are boulders that look like comic book characters, like elephants, like jolly old plutocrats. You know we call them plutocrats because back in ancient Rome, Pluto was both the god of hell and the god of money, which makes sense when you think about it. So the worshippers of money were known as the worshippers of Pluto, of death. Our beloved desert, like the rest of our nation's wilderness, natural monuments, and national parks, was left to fend for itself after so many decades of ostensibly being under the care and control of the United States Department of the Interior. 
off-roaders cut into a bunch of protected national park here, leaving many miles of newly chewed up desert landscape. And people having their biological needs also left great piles of human waste all over the national park because most of the toilets were locked up. Some people did bad things because that is their meager identity, acting like garbage instead of acting like humans who have some self-respect, who have a basic understanding of things. The land conservationists were very upset, politely of course, and the National Park Service staff had to deal with more than a month off work with pay held back and what a nightmare that was for the good people who decided they would make a career out of taking care of America's most prized and beautiful lands. What happened over the winter holidays now seems likely to happen again in the coming weeks and again after that because we are in a part of history familiar to those who are familiar with Gibbon's decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And that great study of imperial collapse, dramatic events are few and far between. For every barbarian sack of Rome, there are many years of simple decline. Roads no longer maintained, public parks and gardens left to decay and abuse. Literacy and culture fading, the trust in public safety falls, the rich growing ever dumber and meaner as they retreat from civil society, etc., etc. So what shall we do about it? Civilizations do rise and they do fall, that's just how it goes. Only a dumb fool would look at this country today and say, well, things seem to be going well. America is a thriving and rising civilization. Only a fool would say that because only an utter fool would believe it. Or like the greatly overpaid New York news anchors on that propaganda cable channel... Only a well-paid and utterly cynical millionaire would say such a thing when paid good money to do so, despite knowing deep in his or her shriveled little heart that we are at the end of one historic cycle. And that will work itself out, for good or ill. What will not work itself out is the protection of our public lands, our national parks and monuments, our nature preserves and conservation areas, our wild rivers and mountains and forests. We are going to have to take over that duty. There's no time to expand upon all of this, not tonight. I am late as usual, busy, 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 chasing a very small amount of dollars in a smaller amount of time. That's the business plan of a small-town publisher and broadcaster in our dingbat year 2019. But the time shall soon come, as St. Paul wrote, to put aside childish things, put aside cooperation, the society of adult children. 
What I'm talking about is this. Every natural park and preserve is going to need a team of people who take a vow, maybe for a year or two, like in the Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, maybe for a decade, maybe for their working life, maybe like a Buddhist monk or a Catholic worker for life. Now, many people are looking for a meaningful life from here on out on the right side of the great cultural war, the right side that will win if any side wins because the other side is death. The slow death of a miserable species that killed itself off while killing off the only planet it ever had. Now imagine a common house with public spaces right up against the park or preserve in question. Private land owned by the nonprofit organization, the state or national organization, running under simple and basic rules that can and should always be adapted for the particular bioregion. Always adapted for the particular human culture, the society. The society of humans who choose to get off the sinking luxury liner of 21st century exploitation and misery and all the rotten extremes and excesses of late capitalism. All of those who choose to get off the burning boat full of vampire rats and take a stand, take a stand on the land. These recruits may be part-timers from the community, the sort of lay people who came to the rescue as best they could when their friendly neighborhood national park was abandoned by a vicious and idiotic government, a government of vipers, of scam artists, con men, slobs, sex creeps. And working aside with these good people are those who have taken the vows who live at the Great Lodge, the Temple of the Sun, the home on the range, and there is always lots of good and interesting work to do. And it can be done anywhere it needs to be done, but when there's trouble, when the state parks close, as they did in California a decade ago, or when the national parks and monuments are abandoned to chaos and lawlessness as they were last month and surely will be again, well, then the world shall see why these earth keepers, these holy rangers, have made the commitment they have made. They will spring into action, keeping their duels out of the natural parks, helping tourists and travelers find clean and safe places to camp or lodge, rescuing toddlers from sand dunes and Joshua trees from Instagrammers. And when the systems break down in whatever government and whatever capital, whether affecting a wildlife preserve in Africa or a desert national park in California, we shall not need to weep and moan and we shall not engage in the gnashing of teeth, which is particularly bad for your molars. We shall not mourn the things that have passed on, for we have a new covenant. We have a purpose and strategy.
Now this is going to require a lot of philanthropy, which is a nice word for hand it over yourself before the masses are compelled to take it back. We're going to need to buy interesting and functional buildings on good land that hasn't been scraped and wrecked. Maybe that sacred sands house out on Quail Springs, that's for sale. Well, the organization is going to need to get organized and collect the donations from the plutocrats and maybe we'll get it started right here in the high desert of California. I've got a lot of material I've collected or collated or typed up myself over the past decade or so of economic chaos and climate catastrophe and... One thing you don't hear too much on the news is that land preserves and national parks and state forests and any kind of protected land is crucial as a carbon sink. All those plants from the big Joshua trees and the junipers and the yuccas and the pinions to the microbiotic desert crust you can barely see until it's been torn up and turned into lifeless sand. Well, all those plants, great and small, all those plants hold the same carbon we hope to hold in such places rather than letting it fill up our atmosphere and kill us all. Because that's the end game. That is the final play. Only in this new century have scientists begun to explore just how much of a carbon sink our deserts are. That is not just the big obvious wild forests that both hold carbon and breathe oxygen back into our atmosphere in immense amounts. Well, here's something enjoyable to report. Thanks to lobbying efforts from our friend Jeremy Corbell, he and the UFO documentaries you can watch on your home television, look him up. Documentaries about Bob Lazar, the alleged Area 51 whistleblower, on a very weird place called Skinwalker Ranch. Well, anyway, I wound up on Coast to Coast AM last week with George Knapp had a nice weird conversation about some of the odd tales that come from our desert lands and I received some interesting emails following that appearance and I thought I would answer a few of those on the air tonight. Mr. Lane, I and I am certain many other coast-to-coast listeners greatly enjoyed your visit with George Knapp. I've not traveled through your part of the West, but will certainly put it on my travel list for the next time I motorcycle westward. I agree with you and George that deserts are special places. Most of my desert experience has been in New Mexico, Utah, and Nevada. I almost made it to Death Valley once, but the Nevada Highway Patrol had other ideas. Oh well. Again, thank you for an interesting and entertaining interview, and please do come back. Signed, Iron Pig. Well, thank you for that, and I hope you get out here to the Mojave while the weather's still good, which should be for another couple of weeks. And then we'll try again around Christmas time, as usual. 
Now, I was driving through the Las Vegas suburbs not long ago, past one marijuana shop after another, and I was thinking about how when I was a kid, Nevada would put you in prison for life if they caught you selling marijuana. Things do change. But the traffic cops in Nevada do still pay special attention to out-of-state plates. I should have kept my old silver state plates from the old Jeep just for such occasions. Now here's one that got me digging into old UFO reports, which is one of my favorite hobbies. Just sifting through these mysterious reports from eyewitnesses generally unknown to us. You get the date and the place and the time and the statement, and that's about it. Maybe an intriguing sketch. This one is very interesting for me because it's a good reminder that whatever I think I might know about a situation because I read a couple of newspaper articles about it or because I heard something on a podcast or on the radio, I probably don't really know all that much about it at all. Here's the letter. My ears perked up last night when I heard you on Coast to Coast mention that there were a lot of UFO sightings reported after the Northridge earthquake. However, you seem to dismiss these as being made by people who would not know a star from a UFO. I saw something the evening after the initial quake, and it wasn't stars. I was in our parked car on the west side of the street across from our home in Sherman Oaks, California. If you've ever been out to the San Fernando Valley, you know where Ventura Boulevard is located. I live a couple of streets north of it, a few doors from the Los Angeles River. South of Ventura Boulevard, there are hills. It was above these hills that I saw a formation of lights. At first, I thought they might be helicopters. But they were all perfectly still in the sky, southwest of where I was. They simply remained there for a few minutes, and then suddenly they all moved together at a sideways angle and were gone. They disappeared instantly. These were not helicopters, unless perhaps the military has aircraft that can move like that. I've observed meteor showers before, and this was nothing to do with meteors. Many areas had lost power, so there was not as much artificial light that could hinder the view of the sky. One other thing I would like to mention is that someone else saw something very similar after the Northridge earthquake. A woman I know who lived in the hills at the opposite side of the valley also saw these lights in the sky above her home. I did not learn of her experience until several weeks after the earthquake. Yet she described the same thing that I had seen. If you have any record of the many UFO sightings reported after the Northridge earthquake, would you please share them with me? I very much would like to see if the reports matched what I had experienced. A few years ago, I did report my sighting to MUFON. Sincerely, S.G. Well, thanks for your letter, and if anyone listening tonight had a similar experience following the Northridge quake of 1994, let us know and we'll let SG know. I had heard that Northridge blackout story so many times, I even heard an astronomer repeat it on a public radio station some years ago now. 
and I honestly had not given much thought to the idea that there were UFO sightings happening during that same night of terror and starlight. So I search Move On, the Mutual UFO Network, and the only report they've got from that night sounds like the one SG filed. But they really don't have much online from before the online era. Our wonderful era of online garbage and not nearly enough useful information. The National UFO Reporting Center has a single report from that night of a fireball after the quake. And there's a very weird book about Topanga Canyon UFO sightings and talks about that night. Again, not much to be found online from the pre-World Wide Web era, although there are many thousands of reports and file cabinets somewhere. And the owner of a rare bookstore up in Utah recently bought the contents of an entire storage space in Arizona, and the whole thing was filled with UFO books and all kinds of files and clippings. Be nice to have this stuff in a research library somewhere. from somebody back east who was personally offended because a couple of people on the radio were talking about the desert they know and love. And all I can say is that if you don't like the desert, if you simply don't care for this climate and environment, well, you sure don't have to come out here. The less people, the better. Last night in Palm Springs... We had the last of the scheduled Desert Oracle campfire stories over at the Ace Hotel. And of course, it was pouring down rain, as happens every couple of years, whether we need it or not. And the campfire stories got rained out, and they put me in the bar by the DJ turntables. And well, it just wasn't quite the same thing. I appreciate everybody who came out. It was nice talking to all of you. And we'll try to do this around the fire again before too long. We do have some other events. The first of those being a night of Strange Desert Stories by your host, Ken Lane at the beautiful old schoolhouse museum just across the road from the inn at 29 Palms. Let me just read from the press release here. Sponsored by the Desert Institute at Joshua Tree National Park and the 29 Palms Historical Society, this lecture is held at the old schoolhouse museum, 6760 National Park Drive, 29 Palms on Friday, February 8th at 7 p.m. This lecture is open to the public and costs $5 per person at the door. Optional dinner with the presenter, whoever he is, at 5 p.m. at the 29 Palms Inn. Dinner reservations are limited, so please RSVP by calling 760-367-5539 before Wednesday, February 4. That information is also on our website, desertoracle.com, and our various social media accounts until I delete them. Or you can write to us at radio at desertoracle.com. 
This is Desert Oracle broadcasting from Joshua Tree, California, Fridays at 10 p.m. across the Mojave on KCDZ 107.7 FM from Amboy to Zizix and good night from the voice of the desert.